This is a Timmet podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. This episode is part of the second series. Chronologically, it falls somewhere before episode 35. The title of this episode is No Camel for Me. No Camel for Me. One of the things I like about our area in Porter Creek is that we're surrounded by cultured, literate people. Okay, well, I do know everyone on Walnut Crescent and some others on adjoining streets. I admit that I don't know for sure that everyone is cultured and literate. But the Little Free Library gives me a good idea. The Little Free Library on Pine Street is a small house-shaped box on a stand about adult eye-level high. It has a little glass door and two shelves inside. The shelves are full of books. The idea is that if you see a book you want, you just take it. And if you have a book you don't need, you leave it in the little library for somebody else. Because I walk past the little library at least twice a week en route to the Super A to get the newspaper, I stop quite often and check out the books. Sometimes the demand outstrips the supply, and the shelves are almost empty, but, but that doesn't happen very often. I always feel gratified when I contribute a book and it disappears right away. I guess that balances out the mild insult I suffer when I put in a book that I found particularly interesting and it languishes in the library for months. But it's the eclectic diversity of the literature that passes through the library that really impresses me. When Alex was younger, the library kept her supplied with a steady stream of high-quality educational children's books, some of them educational for Mara and me, too. Over one six-month period, the complete Zane Grey collection of Western novels passed through the library, and then we were into Margaret Atwood and Robertson Davies for a time, followed by Rudyard Kipling, and then classic science fiction. There are self-help books, cookbooks, gardening books, and the occasional reference book. And of course, books that I've never heard of, but that I read anyway, are really fun, not only for the books themselves, but also for the wonder about which of my neighbors contributed them to the little library. So I wasn't completely surprised when I found a copy of T.E. Lawrence's Seven Pillars of Wisdom in the library. That was a sort of book that was on the eclectic spectrum of my neighbor's interest. I was surprised, however, to find it was a 1935 second edition with lovely black-and-white photographic plates scattered throughout. I carried it home with a sense of satisfaction, knowing that it was something special. Alex found the book on the dining room table, looked at a few of the pictures, and asked what it was all about. I gave her the condensed story of Lawrence of Arabia and promised that we would watch the movie together. She was intrigued and flipped through the rest of the book. Look, Dad, there's money! She held up a $20 bill. That was in the book? I asked incredulously. Alex nodded and proceeded to check every page carefully, but there was no more money. Maybe somebody was using it as a bookmark, she suggested. Well, maybe, but what other explanation was there? It was an old twenty, made of paper, no plastic like the current ones, and a picture of a younger Queen Elizabeth. So that weekend we watched Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif cross our sandy screen. Alex was determined that we should adopt a camel, just a small one. We could keep him in the garage and we could take him to the Carcross Desert on the weekends, and he wouldn't have to drink very often. Yes, the book was something special indeed. The next week, there was a book on the volcanic origins of Santorini. It had two older $10 bills in it. Can we go to Greece next year instead of Winnipeg? asked Alex, and she went off to learn all she could from the internet about volcanoes, earthquakes, and their place in ancient history. So I put a note on the little library, 
suggesting that the person who donated the Lawrence and Santorini books get in touch with me. I included my address, my phone number, and email. A book appeared that professed to give the true story of the mutiny on the bounty. Uh, Spoiler alert, Fletcher Christian was a short, dark, sweaty, unpleasant man who made it back to England after being picked off Pitcairn Island by an American whaling ship. So we ended up watching a couple of bounty movies with Alex, and the book had $50 in it. And why did the Tahitian women go topless with Mel Gibson, but not with Marlon Brando, anyway? Mara and I discussed the whole situation. Nobody contacted me, even after I left several notes in the library. None of our neighbors could shed any light on the situation, and none of them admitted to finding any money in the books. Maybe it's an elder abuse thing, suggested Mara. Like somebody's giving away all their aged parents' books without permission, not realizing that's where the family fortune is kept. So I discreetly contacted a friend in health and social services who knew the social workers who looked after seniors, but they didn't have any leads on anyone in our area. Well, if it's not bookmarks, maybe it's someone who has just too much money and they're trying to get rid of it, suggested Alex. We could sure use more money to look after the camel we're going to get when we get back from Greece. Well, maybe. The book of limericks had only five dollars in it. Admittedly, the limericks weren't very good, but they started Alex on a quest to create her own limericks. The book that revealed the construction secrets of the Great Pyramid contained ten dollars and was much more interesting to Alex than Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged that had twenty-five dollars. At that point, the spell was broken. On his way home late one Saturday evening, Mr. Klimashevsky lost control of his car, which knocked over the little free library and damaged it beyond repair. Luckily, most of the books were okay. I'll bet he was drunk, declared Alex. I cautioned her about making unfounded assumptions, but she might have been right. The person who had built the original library and put it on his lawn several years ago had since sold the house and moved away. The current owner tolerated the library, but showed no enthusiasm for rebuilding it, so Dave McPherson and I built a new and much better replacement. It had three shelves instead of two, and was deeper to accommodate the big picture books that sometimes found their way there. We used only the best quality materials, materials that I paid for using the money that the library itself had contributed by a T.E. Lawrence and Ayn Rand. The new library was a success. The three shelves were soon full and the books turned over regularly, except for the book on limericks. It stayed for months, and Alex kept borrowing it back. I finally took pity on it and dropped it off at well-read books downtown. But we found no more money in any books. Alex insisted we check out all the serious-looking books, even if we had no intention of reading them. But, but nothing. Okay, so the little library paid for itself, observed Alex. But it's not going to pay for the camel. So I guess that's okay. On the internet, it says that camels spit. Maybe we really don't need a camel. Instead, she wrote a limerick. The library was tiny but free. The money, a big mystery. When Klimashevsky's card killed it, my dad, he rebuilt it. Now no money for a camel for me. Yeah, I should have disposed of the bad limerick book a lot sooner. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmet.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.